Good morning. Uh, so glad that you could join us for worship here this morning, uh, whether you're worshiping with us in person or online. Uh, we're really glad that you're here with us. Um, I, I'm bringing you this message from my living room, as you may have noticed uh, here this morning. I had some mild symptoms and Thursday stayed and worked from home. Friday worked from home uh, when the symptoms were still there, decided I should get tested. So I'm just waiting for those uh, results to come in and following AHS guidelines. So I'm staying at home and uh, joining you here uh, via online, but it's actually kind of really appropriate that uh, I would bring this message to you from uh, from my home. We're going to talk about family. Um, we're stepping this Sunday into the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, we're bringing you a series that we're calling Fear Not, Untangling Christmas. Um, the series title comes from uh, a couple of different places. Uh, the first is that the every time angels show up in the Christmas Narrative, and most of the time when they come show up anywhere in Scripture, uh, the first thing out of the angel's mouth is, "Don't freak out; it's going to be okay." Uh, fear not. <clears throat> uh, the other place that uh, that this title comes from is the idea that as we approach the celebration of Christmas, there are th these knots that kind of show up and tangle uh, the experience, our experience of Christmas, and uh, and we're going to look at at those knots, uh, or some of them at least, each Sunday, the, the, the knot of, of sentiment, sentimentality, how that can both bless or, or and decrease our experience of, of Christmas, uh, traditions, uh, knowledge, a lack of knowledge uh, can, can really kind of mess with some people as they attempt to approach God in, in worship. Christmas Eve, we're going to, uh, the, the sermon's titled Naughty and Nice, or Naughty or Nice, um, and we're going to look at this idea of, of merit, do we earn God's favor or grace? Uh, is it something that's freely given to those who ask? Uh, I, I hope you know the answer to that. Otherwise, hang on till Christmas Eve. Um, but this morning we're talking uh, about family and uh, considering the blessings and the trials uh, that result from being in family uh, through something like the Christmas season. Uh, the reality is the Christmas story uh, begins with a family in crisis. And um, if this Christmas season uh, you feel like you're a person in crisis or, or you're part of a family that is in crisis, I want to invite you, I want to ask that you would, would lean into this series uh, with us, this study with us. Uh, in addition to worshiping with us uh, on Sunday mornings and, and hearing the teaching from Scripture, um, we're going to be publishing some helps midweek, some live stream things and stuff that uh, will, will, will be designed to help you as you navigate this season and as you as you press into Jesus through the coming season. And then we want to invite you to reach out to the people around you. Reach out and minister to those in our church family, those that are in our community around us. Reach out and be willing to receive ministry from those who are are around us, uh, your church family in particular. We want to be close to you. We want to care for you according to your needs. This, the Christmas story begins with uh, with a family in crisis. In fact, it begins with two families in crisis, and it turns out that the distress that they are experiencing, the upheaval, is related. Uh, they are in the same story, but they're having a very different experience in that story. But God is going to use God is going to use their encounters as family, as part of a work He wants to do in each of them, and, and greater than any of them. Um, this morning, I want to ask you to consider the possibility that God wants to do an extraordinary work in you through whatever your family situation is. 
Maybe you don't have family. Maybe you say, I'm on my own. He wants to do an extraordinary work in you through the church family, uh, the people who have become family to you, want to be family to you, around you. God has put you in your situation very intentionally. And he wants to change you and he wants to change those around you through that situation. And ultimately, he's he's about leading all of us to him. This morning, I want to introduce you to two different families, reintroduce for most of you, I suspect. But let me introduce you to the family, the families of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary. The first couple are married and they're unable to conceive a child. Uh, the second couple are engaged and had no intention of, uh, of conceiving a child. They didn't want a child, not yet. That was not, being pregnant was not part of their plan. But, but God uh, is at work in both of these stories. And in recounting these stories, I want you to see that the God, God often does his best work in us through times of crisis around us. He often does his best work in us through through times of crisis around us. And the instrument that he will often work through is the instrument of family. So whatever your family situation is, God is at work in it. Would you be willing to believe him for that? God, I'm willing to believe that you would be at work in my situation. And then allow him, allow him to do the extraordinary work in you that he wants to do through your family situation. So follow along as I read uh, about this first situation. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. I'm in the New International Version. If you want to follow along, I hope it will be on the screen here, uh, or you can pull it up digitally if you're on a device. Luke 1, verse 5, New International Version. This is the word of the Lord. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blameless, blamelessly. Uh, maybe you'd say that with me. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord. Uh, how about this line? Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Why don't you say that with me? He was startled and gripped with fear. I guess so. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Let's say that together. Do not be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people 
prepared for the Lord. So if this story stopped there, if it stopped at verse 17, we'd say, wow, what a, what a beautiful story. Uh, what a wonderful thing God did for this righteous and blameless couple. Okay, those are, th- th- those are code words for, for Jewish people. Uh, righteous and blameless. It means that they were covenant, faithful covenant-keeping Jews. They were, they were doing everything right. They'd done what the Mosaic law commanded, but they were not receiving all the Mosaic law promised. Deuteronomy 28, for instance, God promised blessing upon uh, those who were faithful to his covenant arrangement. Uh, faithful, they would have land, they would have crops, they would have, uh, they would have children. Um, let, let's talk about infertility just for a moment. Now, I mean, in our culture, uh, being unable to conceive a child is a terrible heartache. Uh, it can cause enormous stress uh, in a married married couple's lives. Uh, it can become a wedge between them. Uh, I, I've even seen infertility separate friendships. That's our day. In that day, it was all of this. Plus, I, I mean, it meant an absence of a, a retirement plan, an absence of retirement security. I mean, your children would take care of you in your old age. Uh, no Canada pension plan. But worse, the absence of a child in that day was also considered to be judgment from God against a couple. There must be something wrong. The, the God math was, was thought to be this. Uh, keep the law plus live a moral life equals experience blessing from God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, and, and then you will experience Blessing from God. A blessing on your crops, blessing on your livestock, blessing the blessing of the children. But according to verse 6 that we just read, this couple was righteous and blameless, therefore they should not be childless. So, so this is our cue, there's something wrong, according at least to the common understanding of the God math. Now, the problem is the God math was wrong. Here's the corrected formula. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Plus, love your neighbor as yourself. Plus, here's the additional piece in the equation. Trust God in the unexplained. Equals the promise you will experience God himself. What we call, we'll call this third factor, we'll call it the God wild card. God is always up to more than we can ask, think, or imagine, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And when things are not going according to plan, like when we're leaning into God, but we're surprised by what we're experiencing, trust God in the unexplained. So if Zechariah and Elizabeth's story had stopped at verse 17, and we might think that, well, that, that's all there is to this. Uh, we might assume that this was a story about a couple who just needed to wait patiently for God. And look, there he is. Isn't God great? He showed up. Fantastic. And he is, and he did. And well, like many before them, he showed up in an issue of infertility. Um, Abraham and Sarah, very famously, in the pages of the Old Testament, struggled with infertility. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we're talking about the patriarchs of the Jewish people. Uh, 
Abraham and Sarah struggled with infertility. Uh, their son Isaac and his wife Rebecca, well, they had twins. They were all right. But one of their twins, uh, Jacob, and his wife Rachel, they too struggled with infertility. So suddenly, we're getting the sense that maybe this there's something going on that more that's more than meets the eye here. There's a connection. I mean, who would have thought uh, that living in the middle of, of the pain and the disillusionment uh, might be part of an unexplained peace for Zechariah and Elizabeth uh, that's a God peace. It's actually a connection to an ancient story. Zechariah and Elizabeth are intended to be seen by us, the readers of Luke's gospel, as reflections of Abraham and Sarah, reflections of Jacob and Rachel. So, so Luke's putting the readers of his gospel on notice. There's something really significant here that's more than, than meets the eye. There's a thread through history that is being connect, that's connecting these couples together. A, a righteous and blameless couple are not experiencing everything promised, so we're going to wait for the wild card of what God is going to do and in part, we begin to recognize there's a connection between them and this patriarchal couple. And in that, we're then reminded there's another promise that we've been waiting for God to fulfill. The promise of a Messiah, the promise of a divine rescuer. That promise has yet to be fulfilled, articulated to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, part of the thread that ties this together. And Luke is putting us on notice. There's something that more that, uh, that's more than meets the eye here. Let me just push pause on that story and say, well, what are the chances that you and your family's story is somehow connected to an ancient biblical story? Like, like look for reflections, look for learning points, look for the, the idea that God might in your family be reflecting something in an ancient family that is intentional. It's inviting you to, to look and reflect and learn from the pages of Scripture Ah, remember that story in scriptures where? Maybe we can learn from that here and now as us. So their infertility, back to the story, their infertility uh, had a much higher purpose in God's plan. Love the Lord, uh, plus love your neighbor, plus trust God in the unexpected equals experience God himself. And their infertility had a much higher purpose in God's plan. Uh, there was a timing issue because their child would be John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. Now, the story doesn't stop here. This isn't just about God kind of showing himself as, as faithful. He is. It's wonderful. But listen to what happens next. Luke 1, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I suspect this is one of those situations where Zechariah looked back later in life and said, why did I open my big mouth? Uh, if, the, if it were not for verse 18, uh, we wouldn't, we would have no idea how badly Zechariah's mistaken God math had fouled up his life. Uh, but, but Jesus himself said, Matthew 12, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And we're seeing that this do good equals God blesses has really messed up Zechariah. In fact, it has undone his faith. The angel said, look, hey, Zechariah, God has answered your prayers. And, and, and he should have been like, yeah, that's awesome. But, but Zechariah says, I doubt it. Like literally, that's really what's going on there. God has answered your prayers. Yeah, 
I doubt it. He'd apparently kept praying, despite seeming silence from heaven on this subject. But Zechariah had lost his faith in the midst of waiting. I I can pray. It's not going to do any good. God, if he exists, he's not listening to me. Whatever the scriptures say about God, uh, I don't know. Apparently, apparently I'm not included. It's not for me. Have you ever heard these kinds of lies whispered into the ear of your heart? You know that there's more than one way to wait, don't you? I mean, the invitation biblically is that we would wait patiently. But of course, we can also wait with skepticism and doubt. And there's a world of difference between the two. God wants to do an extraordinary work in you through the family situation that you find yourself in. He's put you in that situation. It is not by mistake. It is very much intentional. And he wants to do a work in you that's unique to that situation. And ultimately, he wants to lead you and others around you to him. Zechariah's family became a place to expose the, the genuine hurt in his life. The, the, the weakness that was there. And it's also going to be a place where God will work healing in him. God came near, answered Zechariah's prayer for a child. Zechariah's healing journey now has begun, but it's begun in ways that he's not expected. God God wasn't just going to leave him there and say, see, told you. He wants to heal the disillusionments. He wants to renew our faith. God wants to turn our doubts into shouts of triumph. Look at what my God has done. Look how he has shown up. Here's what came next. Uh, Verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. (laughs) So Zechariah came home and Elizabeth couldn't get a word out of him edgewise, right? Ah, So how are things in the temple today, Zach? Uh, it's been a busy day around here. I did some groceries, went into town, did some laundry. I called Helly and Anna, and we got caught up. Oh, they're doing well. It was great. And Mary's doing so well in school. It was really a lovely check. You're being awfully quiet. How did it go at the temple today? I, I bet you that was a, a, an extraordinary Unusual nine months for that couple. Fortunately, Mary came to visit partway through and and at least could hold up her end of the conversation. Uh, This was not the first time. It's not the first time. It would not be the last time in scripture or in history when God used family 
and family circumstances and unmet expectations as the pressure cooker in which he would do a really important work, life-changing work, an eternity-altering work in someone. God wants to do an extraordinary work in you through whatever your family situation is. He's put you there intentionally to lead you to himself. Will you follow him? Family became a place where where, where Zechariah's wounds, his his weaknesses have been exposed. Um, It's also a place where where faith is grown. Uh, This young couple couple find themselves in the same story, but with a very, very different experience, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are old and they're grieving their infertility, the absence of a child. But Joseph and Mary, they're a young couple. They're ready, but but, but they're not wanting a child yet. Uh, like many before them, like many who have come after them, uh, they find themselves pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, not what they planned. Now, this is a very different and utterly unique encounter for them. Uh, the, the angel in advance showed it to Mary, gave her notice of what was going to go down. The angel spoke to the heartbroken Joseph and said, look, it's not what you think. Um, Mary's been virtuous. She has not cheated on you. Uh, this is a, there's a God thing going on here. And then I love, love, love what comes next in this, in this encounter, in this narrative. The, the old couple respond to God with, I doubt it. But the young couple, there's a response. Let's do this thing. Okay, Lord, I'm in. Be it unto me according to thy word. What you said I'm, I'm with you on this. I'm, I'm good to go. Listen to the text itself. Verse 34, Luke chapter 1. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Don't you love young people? Right? No word word from God will ever fail. Well then, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Let's do this thing. Now, the real beauty of this story isn't just in the young couple. It's actually in the fact that God meets the old couple and the young couple where they're at. Zechariah says, I doubt it. The angel said, okay, you better just be silent for the next nine months, and then we'll talk. Mary says, count me in. And the next thing Luke records is her penning a song. She's met up with Elizabeth, and she she writes this praise song to, to God. Listen to it here. Zechariah just, he, he was required to just hum along, by the way. <laughs> Here it is in the message translation, um, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me and look what happened. I'm the most favorite, won't favor, fa- fortunate sorry, woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses and pulled victims out of the mud. 
The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child Israel, he remembered, and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. What a beautiful song. Do you see how God has met her in family and the experience of family? This has become a place to experience God. That's true in your family too. At least that's, it's all got all the potential of that. God wants to do an extraordinary work in and through you in whatever your family situation is. It's a place to expose and heal weaknesses. It's a place to grow faith and it's a place to experience God. I'm I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. I I think that too often we we limit the experience of our family to something far too pedestrian. It becomes about nurturing life and protecting health and wellness and championing educational goals and providing a loving and affirming environment. And all those things are really wonderful things. Yet if the God wild card is not present, we may actually miss the most important assignment God gives to us as a family. Your family is to be a place. God wants to. God wants you to experience him. It's a place where he, you need to invite God to show up. It's a place where you need to invite him to teach you and lead you and guide you and, and provide for you. Dad and mom, your marriage matters. Your marriage is, is to reflect the fundamental character of Jesus and his bride, the church. That's huge. Siblings, how you treat one another matters. As a family, trusting God matters. Looking to him, seeking him in the good times and in the threatening times. How do you respond to him during this COVID crisis matters. How you manage really difficult reversals of fortune, that matters. How you talk about and manage great financial successes, windfalls, that matters. In the good times, we're inclined to kind of forget God. And it becomes about the, the gathering of things and the joy and the enjoying of those nice things, those nice vacations. In the, in the, in the threatening times, uh, there, there's a risk. Well, there's a risk that what becomes evident is that our faith has been placed in other things. God has not got the most important place in my life. Other things do. The scriptures call those idols. Advent would be a great season to put these priorities back in place, to maybe start or or renew or or refresh spiritual practices together as a couple or as a family. And and this year, this year we're going to be spending, well, it looks like we're going to be spending a a much larger percentage of our time exclusively with our household. Let's make the most of it. How about praying together? Could you establish some patterns around meals, beginning of day, end of day? How about reading scripture together? And everything okay the past two Sundays, I've published uh, an invitation to join a group of us online with a version uh, study, 23-day Advent reading. Uh, I don't know, it's 25 or 30 of us signed up for it already. Maybe join us starting tomorrow. Uh, start, it on, start something on your own if you don't like that option. Uh, grab a couple of friends or you and your family, read through an Advent study together. Uh, reading the scriptures Uh, Read the first few chapters of each of the Gospels. God wants to do an extraordinary work in you through your family situation. He wants to heal you. He wants to grow your faith. He wants you to experience him. But all of this requires intentionality on your part. It requires some planning. You may have to make some adjustments in your family schedule. Maybe a little easier uh, given the COVID pandemic situation. 
Would you come to the Lord's table with me? Tim and the team, I'll invite you to prepare. Gather your elements together, and then I'm going to ask you to give me your full attention because I have something very important to lead you through before we consume the bread and the cup this morning. The Lord's table is for followers of Jesus. If that's not you, just sit this part out. That's all right. Well, or hear me on this. We are made right with God through the work of Jesus. He wants to, God wants to be in relationship with you. His death, burial, and resurrection made forgiveness of your sin possible. Turn to him. Ask for forgiveness and be saved. And then join us in the celebrating of communion. A common sin in our culture is that we tend to either idolize family or, or to vilify family. Like, it's the best or it's the worst. We're going to spend a few moments in reflection, quiet reflection, and then we'll consume the bread and the cup. I'm going to lead you in words of confession and repentance of sin before we eat and drink. So here we go. Are you ready? Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, you've been speaking through your word to us. May it be unto us according to your word. And in this silence, Lord, would you examine our lives and speak to us any correction we need to hear. Lord Jesus, some have idolized family and placed it above you in importance. Lord, if that's me, please forgive me. Lord, some have vilified family and despise the family they were raised in. Lord, would you redeem that experience and do a good work in us because of our families? And where we stood in judgment over our parents or siblings or children, we confess that as sin and ask that you forgive us, Lord. Friends, Jesus made our forgiveness possible by taking our sin upon himself. Jesus has taken our condemnation upon himself. Friend, you're no longer condemned for your sin if you confessed it to Jesus. Rather, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. You're freed from the obligations and the shame and the guilt of that sin. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread from the Passover table and he said, this is my body given for you. Let's take and eat in remembrance of him. And Jesus took the cup from the Passover table and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. Let's take and drink together. Tim and the team are, are, are going to lead us in proclaiming Jesus' victory.